Nicholas Pading. Welcome. It's the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, if you're joining us live, I know it's confusing. I apologize. The first time in 102 weeks, um, we're actually going out live on a Monday tonight instead of a Tuesday because it's half term tomorrow and with kids and there's stuff going on. So apologies if you are listening to the podcast thinking this didn't happen. Well, it did happen, but it was on a Monday. Um, I put it out there on social media. So hopefully a few of you will be able to join us tonight by going to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube page. And also we're going out on Run Chat Live as we have been for all of the nutrition focus as well as the sleep focus before, because it, again, it's a topic which I think affects um, not just therapists who work with clients and patients, but also runners. So thank you for joining us if you are listening live. Um, it's episode 102. And like I say, it's the last episode of our focus on nutrition. So I'll just do a quick recap of what's out there in case you haven't tuned into the other three episodes. And um, we started off um, with uh, Dr. Gary Mendoza. That was at the beginning of the month, um, who was talking in particular about state of mind, about understanding the behavior of your client or patient because if you're giving out advice on nutrition you're not taking into consideration what state they are with regards to changing habits then you could be handing out advice willy-nilly and you're not going to get many results from it so it's a fantastic episode um i already said that last year dr gary mendoza was probably the the speaker who affected me most out of all the episodes which is big talk because we've had some amazing speakers but it just made so much sense um, and I highly recommend you have a look at his uh, website. Um, all the show notes give you all the links you need and have a look about um, yeah, the importance of behavior when you're trying to change someone's habit, um, particularly with regards to nutrition. Then the week after, we talked to uh, Matt Fitzgerald, um, fantastic kind of almost hero of mine. Uh, we talked about nutrition and the journeys and books that Matt has written on the dietary habits of the elites and how we can take a page out of their books, not by looking for the most important optimum diet out there, but just looking at the fact that there's variety. OK, there's common characteristics, but essentially they're eating a lot of everything. Um, and that's something which we don't tend to do in the modern world because most diets being sold to you are take this out don't do this don't do this don't do this and i think that was a really good take-home message from matt um instead of having a diet which is don't do this let's have a diet where do everything but just look at how much you're having of different things and that way you're going to get a little bit of everything which is pretty much what most human bodies um get the most out of with exceptions obviously um, and those exceptions came up last week when we were talking to dr jill hart who is the scientific director of York Test Laboratories. Um, that was a fantastic episode. I really like that because it challenged a lot of biases I had about food testing and, and going to a professional and then reeling off loads of kind of allergies and food intolerances you've got. I was very skeptical because I, I was looking at this and being surrounded by this probably two decades ago. It sounds horrible, but things have changed a lot. And uh, Dr. Jill Hart very kindly put me right and showed the evidence which York Test have put into food intolerance testing and using IgG testing, for example, and um, and the results, the life changing uh, results that can happen and come from it. So that was an awesome episode. That was last week. And they're all available on your favorite podcast player, including Spotify. And if you want to watch the videos, which I recommend some of them you do because there may be some slides involved, then just head to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel and the video is there. And like I say, 
the last two months have been going out to run chat live podcast um and uh, feedback from that's been great because runners and people who are runners it's just an important topic um as we've ever had before so there you go that's what we've been doing this month and tonight in the finale i'm very excited and uh, we're going to be focusing on nutrition for the athletic female and joining me is going to be Catherine stewart who's probably got one of the greatest usernames i've seen across social media edible underscore evidence fantastic when i saw that i thought this is a person who's got a great mind and i need to talk to um you may have um, heard of Catherine uh because she has worked with the athletic female trio of uh, gonia donnelly and emma brockwell and dr helen Lacroix, and um who we've had on the show before and um and i'm very excited that she's decided to come and speak to us tonight on a monday at seven o'clock so without further ado i shall bring up Catherine stewart Hey, Catherine, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining me. It's, it's great. It's going to be a fantastic finale. It's a great topic. We've had a lot of requests because females, full stop, there's a lot of myths and taboos and lack of knowledge and misconceptions and things. And I think, I seem to believe, as far as I know, that nutrition falls into that quite nicely, does it not? Yeah, definitely. And I do love myth busting. It's my favourite um, topic. So, yeah, it's quite well. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I've already warned you that it might be a little bit quiet tonight because we're on a Monday instead of a Tuesday and humans are creatures of, of habit. Aren't I'll not they? take it personally. Don't take it personally. <laughs> please don't. Um, but as I say, if you are watching on YouTube or Facebook, and you want to come in and leave a comment and ask a question directly to Catherine, then you're welcome to. Um, what happens is if you do ask a comment, then I can bring it up on the screen and your logo appears. and It's all very exciting for those moments. And it's a great way of networking. But we'll start then, if that's right with you, Catherine. So to start off, um, where, what part of the world are you in? Are you in Ireland at the moment? Um, it's, it's a bit confusing, but I'm from the north of Ireland. Don't want to yeah. get into any political battles. From the north of Ireland, and I do my own work online, and then I work in two clinics in Dublin as well. So I'm spreading my wings. Um, so, yeah. That was such a schoolboy. I'm sorry about then. that. I just said, are you in Ireland? The worst thing you could say somebody. I don't think everyone texts it as seriously as uh, people from No, but Ireland. thanks for putting me right. It's true. I was talking to Gournier and Emma this morning. Are you anywhere near Gournier? Because she's in the north as well, no? Um, I'm not entirely sure, actually. I can't remember um, where she's based. But I'll double. I'll stalk her later on and see. Definitely northern, then. <laughs> so how did you, for people who aren't aware of your work, how did you come to specialise in, in nutrition? Um, so well, I always do, do too long on this topic, so I'm going to try and speed it up. So okay. I want well, in my mum's a nurse and my dad's a farmer and there's no way I'd be a farmer after all those changing cows, bad memories when I was younger. So I thought I'll go into healthcare and I just wanted a job where I could wear my own clothes and finish at five and never work nights. So I thought about speech and language therapy, I thought about physio, not really naturally that sporty person. I thought you had to be sporty to do physio and that side of things. So I really liked home economics in school and thought that's what I'll go down. And I had a personal interest in food. And yeah, that was, I think, my favourite subject. So went to do dietetics. Wasn't too high entry requirements. It was a four-year course. I think Plymouth do three, so it's a bit more hot and heavy. It's getting long summer holidays and things like that. So yeah, I studied in Glasgow, Caledonian, and then I got my first job in Nottingham. Thought I'd kind of work as a band five in the NHS and work my way up and stay in the same job forever never open a book again and I think probably 
six months in. Then I decided no one ever asks you what their granny should eat. They always ask what day before a run or what about after a run if I'm, I'm picking up injuries what do I do to try and um, reduce these and things like that so I thought I'd go into sports nutrition because that's probably the closest I would get to being a sporty person um, so then I did that at or what's it, Ulster University back home it was online they told me you could do it with full-time work I would question who managed to do that full time work. Anyway we scraped by and I basically had to relearn all the stuff that I had learned so then moved back home, did some NHS jobs back home in Northern Ireland. And then I had a quarter life crisis, I would say. Um, went in holidays and while I was in holidays, got offered a job in Dubai by LinkedIn. And I'd never wanted to work in Dubai. I thought it was like a bit of a fake country and very surface level. Um, but it was in a gym out there as a dietitian and setting up their like dietetic nutritionary service. So I homed an ad and then I thought, well, sure, it, it'll be a... A working holiday, if nothing else, if I don't like it. So went out there. The gym wasn't built whenever I went out there. So it ended up being more holiday than working for the first three months, which I wasn't complaining about. Um, And then the next few months, then it had opened. Gyms out there are like gyms on steroids. Well, actually, maybe that's the wrong wrong terminology. But uh, a cross between a gym and a nightclub. Um, So, yeah, that was a mild experience. And just seeing, I suppose, the different, like even getting to know the foods. Like I'd go into the shop and like, I'm sad. Like I love grocery shopping, seeing if N says limited edition or new, I'm all over it. It might probably be there in five years time and it's not really limited edition. But um, yeah, just even looking at their different types of foods, the culture and things like that. Obviously they've got Ramadan and a lot of people will be taking part in that. So yeah, it was a good learning curve. And actually just in terms of like communicating out with the NHS where you're very protected. There's lots of... <laughs> cross your t's dot your eyes um whereas in dubai it was maybe more like a speed is a speed which mm-hmm. was good to get that experience and then covid put a swift end to that so i thought i'd come home millionaire i definitely didn't i think i broke even just about and then i got offered oh no i worked in london um actually for a little while just over covid in like a respiratory hospital so um yeah it looked uh, similar to what the news was painting it so that was i an eye opener and i'm glad i kind of got to work like I love clinical areas, but like and working in hospitals and things like that. But I also like, I suppose, going freelance and working in clinics gives you a little bit more flexibility to cover a broad range of topics and find out what you really like. So then I got offered to cover maternity leave in, in Dublin. And then I so started working with that clinic and then started doing a little bit of my own stuff on the side. And only more recently have I kind of bit the bullet and tried to niche down more into female nutrition and mainly like fertility and hypothalamic amenorrhea and I think my background as sports nutritionist and clinical dietitian works quite well because I suppose there is health risks from the sports nutrition side of things or if nutrition goes a little step too far and then crossing into eating disorders, disorders and things like that so I hope I answered the question right, but I think I did that quicker than the last time someone asked me. So <laughs> that was great. That was amazing. That I feel like, I, yeah, I, I didn't realize you're going to start from when you were like six years old. That was very impressive. You managed to. <laughs> I think I did that up. before, and I thought this is a learning curve that I need. But it's very modest as well. And I do admire that in my guests when they are modest, because like, yeah, you did a master's in sport and exercise nutrition at Ulster University. So for somebody who's not that interested in in sports, that was quite an accomplishment, you yeah. know. It wasn't and really also, interesting because I am interested in sport. I'm just not good at them, I think. So I'm still. kind of a wannabe. Um, so that was my 
inlet into the sports nutrition so did that not cause a problem because i mean i've also you were involved you've worked with lots of athletes and during cyclists swimmers even special olympic teams yeah so i just like volunteered with my local special olympics it was so good just for because it's so hard to get experience as a dietitian or freelance nutritionist and things like that um so yeah that was really good just even in terms of like communication keeping things short and actually i learned a lot if you're doing talks no one cares about the big fluffy words and the fancy presentations short sharp i used to go in there and there was a guy there and he said i'm counting five minutes and longer than that you'll bore me and actually i'd say probably a lot of talks i've done people would want to say that but haven't um so yeah that was a different experience so then work i worked around race around ireland is a qualifier race for race across america if anyone's ever heard of that um so i worked with the team on that and that was great crack got to see lots of Ireland slept through lots of it as well but it's a four-day endurance race so um that was really hands-on like I'm not a cook at all I think people assume you do dietetics and nutrition you love cooking I love baking and I love eating it but not too good at the main meals um which I probably should be a little bit better at so um yeah there was a lot of learning on the job with that um so yeah it's been nice and varied um but uh yeah very different to the career I thought I would have whenever I finished uni and thought I'll put my feet up and not spread my wings too far further than the job I was in which I loved and I think I've I liked every job that I've been in and I think I've gained something from everyone but I do get a tendency to get a little bit of itchy feet and I don't know whether that's a good thing or if that's helped me to be where I'm at or um maybe I should settle settle for where I'm at sounds it's I think that's quite inspirational and great advice to people who are younger and looking to what career they're going to get into because you weren't straight away focusing on nutrition for female mm. athletes it's something you found mm. but it's something you found be after volunteering which is always a great word a lot of people think they're just going to get a job straight away but you volunteer for lots mm. of things tested lots of things went to different countries so mm. I think there's a message there for younger therapists even if they're not looking for nutrition for anything sports therapy yeah. to travel around widen you know there's your network mm. Yeah, and I think definitely, like, I thought I'd be, like, love weight loss and that side of things. And actually, I think I realized that, like, when I see people for fertility advice or hypothalamic amenorrhea or, like, periods and things like that, like, I do notice that I light up and I know that if I needed someone for some reason, I'd want to go to, like, someone who was really interested or who had been impacted by that in their past. Mm -hmm. And I think probably I've only realized that in the past maybe a year or two and um, that's where my interest lies but I don't think I would have ever known that whenever I graduated what like seven years ago and um, mm-hmm. as well so it just takes time I suppose very interesting um before we continue with uh, tonight's show just have a little, few people have made it in on this weird Monday seven o'clock time so Gary Benson founder of the SDA um is in the house as evening Matt and Catherine apologies for being late so so civilized and <laughs> professional that's okay Gary um new time old memory old small old um Sabrina Monaghan is with us hi thanks for joining us Sabrina Sabrina says hi everyone and Catherine Weimer you did have me thinking Catherine you'd never missed a show yet and here you are hi everyone watching from the gym it's just finished with the clients that's the dedication we've got mm-hmm. and more people coming as we speak so thanks for joining us people live and if you listen to the podcast just to just again just a little plead if you're enjoying what you hear or you've enjoyed any of the episodes then do please leave a little review leave a rating so it just helps us appear higher in the google listings and the good word of our guest gets out to more people which is what it's all about so tonight Catherine, tonight's topic nutrition for the athletic female so i guess my first question to get straight into it will be how important is gender when looking at nutrition in athletes 
Um, well, I suppose maybe a question or an answer to that would be we don't really know fully because oh, a lot no. of studies are done on males and I think that's maybe getting recognised more so now. So people are taking a vested interest in actually, well, like, yes, we know that you need 30 to 60 grams of carbs for every hour of exercise, but those studies were done in males or um, like in terms of recovery nutrition, a lot of those studies were done in males as well. And we know that, um, I know you were saying earlier that females would maybe have a tendency to pick up more injuries um, and maybe that's related to their cycles as well. So um, hopefully in a few years, we'll be able to answer that a little bit more clearly, but um, yeah, we're still learning as we go. That's, that's, that's something we've heard a lot whenever we've had episodes regarding female health. Um, yeah, fascinating that so much of the research has been kind of patriarchal natured and done on men by men and and yeah. missed out so much. And even I remember Matt Scarsbrook, who's um, a friend to the show, he mentioned that even experiments they're doing on animals like rats, for some reason, the rats, the rats tend to be males. And they've discovered now yeah. that a male cell can react differently to a female cell. So his comment was, imagine what we've missed. Imagine what medical breakthroughs we've missed simply because we were working with male cells instead of female cells, you know, because there are differences. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's a fascinating topic. But is it getting better as far as you know and the people you mix with? Um, yeah, I think so. But then maybe do I just uh, follow a lot of people who are interested in the same thing I'm in? So I don't really know. Um, but no, I do think it is um, getting better and people are having a bigger, even like, you know, a lot of people will be talking about like their hormone levels or maybe there's more interest in more natural contraceptives and things like that. Or people are taking charge of, you know, their cycles are getting to to know themselves a little bit better and how they react to maybe training or foods and different things that they experience throughout their um, menstrual cycle as well so um yeah i suppose the interest in that will hopefully drive the research in the future yeah i think we can be optimistic i think it is getting a bit better i mean there's definitely yeah. lots of research going into um, my field is runners <laughs> and there's a lot of big names now who are getting involved mm. in yeah. looking at the differences between female populations and male populations mm-hmm. um yeah i think it's getting better so, um, as I explained, kind of when we were off air, a lot of the population who are going to be listening to this particular podcast are sports massage therapists or sports therapists. Mm-hmm. A lot of people coming into clinic who are in pain. Um, and that kind of gives us a responsibility because we're often the first port of call for anybody who is suffering from just discomfort, who feels mm-hmm. the need to get away for an hour and just disconnect. And that can be quite an amazing healing property in itself it might not last forever but it's definitely got its place in helping people get over things so i'm wondering in your experience and working with other therapists what should therapists be looking out for um, when female clients are coming in which could suggest that you need to go and talk to a nutritionist to some form because it sounds like to me from the questions i've asked you that there could be something going on here with nutrition for you the female athlete um i would say even just asking a little bit about their background i suppose there's many different avenues and like say if um someone's experienced loads of gut issues like they should probably go chat to a dietitian and see you know what it is try and figure out how they could manage it best for them and not suffer in silence because i suppose like it is the multidisciplinary teams that will help 
Um, with everything I know that we often would refer people to physios and sports therapists and things like that or redirect them there as well because it's out of our scope of practice the other thing as well is if someone is having recurrent injuries or the same issue coming back and back and back um, and they're doing all the practical I suppose training side of things to try and minimize that but it just keeps niggling away then actually maybe we need to look at their sleep maybe we need to look at nutrition um, and those other sides of things and I know that I was just sent to you off air, but today that I was um, chatting to a client who had been recommended she see me um, because he'd actually realised that, um, he was a personal trainer, he'd realised that her eating habits were actually becoming unsafe and unhealthy and without his scope of practice um, as well. So that was really nice to hear because I think sometimes when, like I, I even know if I see clients and, you know, I'd, know a certain clientele and then I see something different or maybe something comes back again actually I think you know actually we need to go back to the GP for this or you need to be chatting to a consultant and it's like with my school practice so as well trying not to think okay well we've done all this and there is it me is there something that I'm that I'm not doing because actually like often I would consider even with the PCOS class and things like what about training style or type and things like that is there someone that you could talk to about that as well so I suppose it would just works in reverse when we're thinking about um food so yeah the main things are probably like struggling to recover or um recurrent injuries picking up the same type of injuries as well um and then also gut issues too um because they're things that I suppose once people start to open up to you then you'll kind of get more history and more background from them very interesting yeah great advice now that's great and and therapists again it's a common theme if something isn't quite working you're trying all the conservative mm-hmm. traditional things yeah. therapists have got to be ready to put their hand up and go you know what i'm not sure what's going on here yeah. something's not yeah. quite clicking like your man your personal trainer did mm-hmm. and have the confidence to refer that person out yeah. you know and not and it could be a weight off their shoulders as well like i know i know whenever i'm thinking oh my gosh like can i not like help this client when actually you know it could be something that's nothing related to food and similar to yourselves like if you're working with clients and actually it's related to food and it's it's not as related to what you're doing with them it's obviously complementing alongside it but um other issues to be addressed too definitely that's interesting you mentioned multidisciplinary teams because i think a lot of our audience the very nature of the game is maybe you're by yourself you're working in a gym or a club or from your home or something and you haven't got those people immediately around you Mm. and you're not used to sharing patients and you worry that if i send this person away i'm never going to see them again but you mentioned yourself that you are referring clients of yours out to personal trainers or sports therapists yeah we do or just even do you know what i would say go on social media and follow a few people see if you like the sound of some because everyone's different as well i'm sure there's people that see me and they think no she's not for me um and i know that we see people who have therapists that they don't gel with and they try a few as well so um there's no harm in just looking around for someone who seems to have an approach that maybe you feel would suit you as well is there sometimes I feel like I'm suggesting that the female body, because of the menstrual cycle and obviously obvious differences, Mm -hmm. is there, I feel like I'm suggesting that the female body is weaker or more susceptible to issues. For example, if diet is poor or training habits are poor, and I don't want to come across as doing that, but there are differences, aren't there? You can, if you're eating poorly, you can is it fair to say you can open up some pretty poor avenues of pain and poor performance more if you're working with a female body than with a male 
I would say that with the females, we're lucky in that we have a menstrual cycle to give us a red flag before Good. the injury. So obviously with red, I a relative energy deficiency sport, which I think you just said we were going to chat about later. Mm. But for a female, they might think, oh, actually, my period was due on the 12th this month and it's now the 28th and there's no sign. And that might happen reoccurring until maybe it tails off and it doesn't come at all. That's a big red flag that they're under fueling. Whereas a male might be like, we'll feel a bit bloated today or I feel like a bit sore after training. And then a few months down the line, bang, it's an injury and there's no choice but to rest. So I think for females, in a way, we're lucky that we have those maybe more obvious warning signs as well um to pick on, up on those things and i know like in cyclists as well it is very common in male cyclists that they would have relative energy deficiency in sport as well and and have the same issues with like low testosterone low hormone levels and will pick up digestive issues and more injuries and find it difficult to recover too so um i suppose it's just maybe different um males versus females um not necessarily weaker but maybe just different um <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting defensive but i'm just trying to word this correctly no, I get think it. How, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. how i would view it but i do think females are lucky in that we have that early warning system with our periods and it's very obvious and especially now people are getting a bit more used to okay or actually tracking apps and things like that give you so much information you can pick up trends and you can kind of know yourself whereas i know whenever i was younger i'd be a uh, very middy, want to cry all the time. And then my period come in and be like, oh, right, okay. And that happened every month. Like I never tracked it. And, uh, you know, if you were taught those types of things in school, the amount you would learn about your body at such a young age would be fascinating, I always think. Um, and I'm sure meals from, I suppose, the other side of the coin could learn, you know, like in terms of their training, when they go into heavy training period, is there changes that they've noticed in their digestion or their mood, concentration, those types of things that they could pick up too that's brilliant i love the way you turn that around and it's 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 great you're actually fortunate in the sense that you've got this yeah. red light excuse the pun but you've got this mm -hmm. red light which kind of lets you know but then that heightens the importance as you said of it's fine as long as women not just women but the people working with women i'm thinking of coaches yeah. and other kind of support are talking about it and tracking it like you say mm -hmm. and reacting to it which isn't always the case is it i mean even yeah. Is it I think even in sports teams, now? maybe in sports teams, maybe it kind of is a bit awkward. Like you never talk about periods with like a male or, <laughs> you know, those types of things. And maybe coaches maybe tend to be more males. I'm just thinking of like in terms of like hockey teams and things that I've seen people um, in as well. But um, I think the conversation is becoming more open and it's as much to do with the coaches as the players, I suppose, in teams too. Um so, yeah, I think we're getting there. There's more chat about it online and social media and you know, a lot of people consume all those, that information that's out there too. So the more people talk about it, the more airtime it gets, the less awkward it becomes as well. Yeah, I, I hope it's getting better. But I think social media, like you've already kind of suggested, it depends who you follow. And then suddenly it feels like, oh, everybody knows about this now. Everybody's tracking periods mm -hmm. with an app or something. But yeah. like, I don't know whether you listen to Grenier's uh, and Emma's recent Eight Your Cervix podcast. I tweeted about it earlier on with yeah, athletes. I saw, I saw you share, share, share something, but I haven't. Oh, it was, it was scary how none of the support team around her 
um, recognized the signs or asked her about anything which could be a female health mm-hmm. issue. It was only when she actually ended up in A&E with a, an ankle sprain or something and was mm-hmm. in total agony and passed out that yeah. somebody thought this is above and beyond. This is weird. This isn't just an ankle. And it turned out mm-hmm. she had a hemorrhaging fibroid and was close to death sort of thing. So, yeah. and, and she highlighted at elite level how, unfortunately, it's still very much a taboo topic. And mm. if anything, it's discouraged because... I mean, she said something on that, which was interesting, particularly with younger athletes. It's almost seen as a red light of grooming or something. If you are asking younger athletes about peers and stuff, which to Mm me, being in a better bubble, I think, for mixing with people like Ronnie and Emma, it was like, really? That's a sign of grooming? A coach showing interest in the menstrual cycle? How could it be not more the opposite? But I don't know. Mm -hmm. It does need to be talked about more. But it's interesting to hear that even with nutrition, we've come back to menstrual cycle with women and it seems to govern everything if you yeah. use that and aware of it then you can and actually there is like um they compare it in meals and i don't know i probably feel more awkward asking this question but less than five spontaneous morning erections a week could indicate low energy availability in meals which actually to be honest i would feel less comfortable asking about than being like oh what's your period like do you do you get a regular period does it come every month those types of things too so um yeah, I suppose there's there's both sides that actually it just is a little bit of a taboo, more of a taboo than yeah. asking about sleep or asking about even like when I see people for gut issues, they'll be really a standoff or, you know, they'll hold back an information and tell them like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? How often is mm-hmm. it? And that type of thing. And I have to reassure them we talk about this day in, day out. Whereas if I chat to my friends about it, they'd be like, oh, can you please stop talking about that? It's disgusting. Like, get some normal conversation um so yeah the more we talk about it the more comfortable we are with it definitely yeah i mean we talked to bill taylor who's a great male pelvic health specialist and he was saying that once you feel it's normal then your clients will not feel awkward you're going to feel more awkward as a therapist but once you've asked the guy a few times any problems with erections or any pain Uh during intercourse whatever it is it's 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 the therapist who makes it awkward not the patient yeah the patient, once they trust you the minute they're paying you they've mm-hmm. come in so yeah it's uh yeah it's definitely still something that needs to be worked on though and getting rid of these taboos what about i noticed that you've got a special interest in, in um pcos a polycystic ovary syndrome mm-hmm. i know a lot of well i say a lot kind of more than three of my friends and circle of friends um, are women who suffer from that. And it's something I've seen in clinic quite a lot. It seems to be quite mm. mainstream. Um, you got involved a lot. Is that something which kind of raises its head when you're working with nutrition? Is it something which can be helped with nutrition? Um, yeah, definitely. Because I think um, it used to be that a lot of people got PCOS, you got put in the pill and come back to the GP whenever you want to get pregnant. Whereas actually more people have been like, well, no, actually I want to kind of know what's happening with my cycle. And if I can alter it with food and food and lifestyle kind of a massive impact on it as well. So there are so many things that you can do, like in terms of like lowering the glycemic index of the diet. So going for higher fiber carbohydrate options, which usually if you Google PCOS and diet, it'll say dairy-free, gluten-free, low carb or no carb when that's not actually true dairy is anti-inflammatory there's more inflammation with a lot of forms of pcos carbohydrates you want them in because they've got loads of b vitamins in them as well and they'll help to fill you up and balance blood sugars that sometimes can be a little bit off with pcos um and the gluten-free options tend to be higher in fat salt sugar as well so obviously good if someone has um celiac disease or they find that actually bread pastas cereals 
don't react as well for them, but it's definitely not a blanket recommendation. Whereas focus a little bit more on higher protein sources, more fiber in the terms of fruit and veg and whole grains, going for lower glycemic um, index carbohydrates and actually pairing those carbohydrates with protein and fiber. So instead of having wholemeal toast, which is low glycemic index food, lower than what white toast would be in the morning time, maybe you have that with eggs, which is protein. And maybe you have avocado, which is healthy fats as well. So it's just educating about how we can fit all foods in, but how we pair them and maybe how we optimize that for someone's energy levels as well. Often they would say, um, people with PCOS might say, they find that they might eat the same as their partner or friend and they're hungry like an hour later. And I suppose that's just because of the insulin resistant where the blood sugars go up and they stay up high because insulin's rushing in, it's not working, it's not working. And then they slump down. And then that's when then they get those sugar cravings again. There are a lot of supplements as well that can help with PCOS too. Um, and a lot of our PCOS clients maybe are a little bit overweight, are aware of that and want to lose weight. And actually, sometimes it's a lot of just even giving them the confidence to be like, how about we reach out to a personal trainer or a therapist or someone who can help with that side of things and give you confidence in moving your body in a way that feels good for you. And there's no right or wrong. I know there was a systematic review recently and it said like there's no optimal type of activity yes trying to do a bit of resistance exercise and getting in movement is the the are the most important things so um yeah it's an interesting area and it's very a very common area and affects a lot of people um so yeah it's a favorite yeah i think i read or i don't know different sources but i think i read 10 percent being thrown around of young women who are affected by it and if, uh-huh, you're, yeah. if you're a therapist working and you think of how many women have come to young women have come through your door this year that's an, mm-hmm. an awful lot of people you might not have asked the right questions to um, because mm-hmm. again there's going to be symptoms isn't there of menstrual problems and they might not be aware of how diet can actually help and like you say yeah. gps may have just said go on the pill come back later mm-hmm. you mentioned that and yeah. that's interesting and I, I don't like giving gps a bad name but they're very busy and this has come up a lot of times when we'll be talking particularly about men Mm -hmm. and female pelvic health but is it still the case that what you hear from the gp's mouth might not be the best advice because they are being pushed i suppose in some ways it can be good advice like for someone who um maybe is in their teens and they're they've got really severe acne and things like that the pill can help to balance that out or the pill can help to manage those hormonal issues but it's not the only you know it's not the be all and end all it's like if someone has reflux and they're taking a medication to help that the reflux issue is still going to be there once they stop the medication so it's actually when they're ready to address it I suppose as well and you can still make those dietary changes if you are on the pill and you know people go on it for other reasons they go on it for contraception is the main one too so it's not saying that it's bad it's just it's a it's sometimes viewed as a bit of a plaster over the main issue so um if someone is going on that, then actually just making them aware that there's other things they can do with diet and lifestyle alongside that that can help um, too. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned about the recommended kind of foods to, to take if you mm-hmm. are um, suffering from this. You mentioned that it's possible to find poor advice. Is that an issue as well because of like Google? Is there? Um, yeah, and I think people maybe are just a little bit lost or feel like unheard or maybe through previous experiences with, um, other health professionals or I don't know um, just even family and friends where it's not talked about much and they maybe feel a little bit alone and 
not too sure who to reach out to or who to ask as well. And sometimes Google can be a handy option um, as well. So there's a lot of information on it. And I suppose it's difficult to pick out what's the right information and what's helpful and what could be harmful. You must in your profession see a lot of kind of fads and different diets come and go. Is there is yeah. there anything at the moment that particularly concerns you? I mean, I haven't really asked you yet what you feel is the best overall diet, but I imagine I you're think, probably quite mainstream yeah. and avoid probably kind of- um, TikTok's what I eat in a day. <laughs> Not technically a diet, but uh, very very prevalent, and yeah, in a lot of clients that I would see, they'll be very young and even younger. Um, yeah eating disorders and disordered eating is impacting younger and younger and it's not just females definitely not um like i'd seen a 12 year old boy recently as well and it started with a fitbit and those types of things so it can be completely harmless um but yeah i don't think one particular diet maybe just not enough food um and restricting foods overall or when healthy eating goes too far and the more kind of orthorexia type um disordered eating okay so that's interesting so rather than one particular fad it's mm-hmm. still a case of a lot of people just not eating enough because of mm-hmm. body yeah. awareness and things like that yeah. i see a question there from Catherine about love the name um <laughs> i spell my Catherine, what she say? She says, Catherine, i wasn't sure if this was correct but i'd heard the way we burn energy and exercise can yeah. be different to men we should focus mm-hmm. on protein and good fats prior to exercise versus men needing carbs and protein yeah so it depends this year's i suppose it's in the early phases of research and sometimes people think that maybe it's actually confusing, making things more confusing than helpful. So um, in the first part of your um, menstrual cycle, so the follicular phase, so from period to ovulation, um, you want to be eating iron-rich foods to replenish the iron that's lost um, during menstruation. And the body tends to maybe conserve more carbohydrates in that. Whereas in the second phase, the luteal phase, um, you tend to want in a little bit more fats um, and the risk of injury might be a little bit higher um, in that kind of premenstrual phase as well. So fats are anti-inflammatory, the, like avocados, oils, nuts and seeds, those types of things. Um, so they'd be more helpful to have in there. Um, definitely with intermittent fasting, females tend to lose a little bit more muscle whenever they eat in that way. And that could be to do with the hormone balance throughout the day. Um, so that's something to be aware of as well and in the second phase as well of your menstrual cycle between ovulation and next period you your temperature will slowly start to rise and actually then that increases the amount of energy your body's burning so you generally generally need to eat more this is the time when people think oh my gosh I crave chocolate and I'm uncontrollable around it when actually if you need to eat x amount of calories and you're in x minus 300 you're going to crave you're going to crave the energy whereas maybe we just need bigger bigger portions or a bigger breakfast at that time or scheduling in a bigger snack instead of feeling guilty for being hungrier but for a valid reason great question Catherine I'm sure there'll be more thank you very much come back Catherine if there's a follow-up to that um that you want to ask so I've mentioned again kind of the importance of knowing what stage in your menstrual cycle you are and the advantage therefore I guess of having an app mm-hmm. how many clients yeah. female clients do you see where you well how many do you see who have already got um, or tracking their their menstrual cycle with an app 
compared to how many who haven't and your suggestion is you know what you could help yourself a lot by with your nutrition by downloading an app um, i'd say maybe not even that but if i ask oh do you track your menstrual cycle they'll say oh it comes in every comes this day every month or you know it comes every other month or mm. things like that so definitely over 50 percent, i would say of females are aware of when their period is coming they might not use an app they might just use calendar um mm. or their phone as a kind of reminder and a check-in um but yeah it's becoming more common but aware then, therefore, that they need to be eating slightly differently, especially if they're exercising. I'd a say I probably don't half. tend to focus on that too much. I would just say be aware. You know, if someone's experienced PMS type symptoms, we'll hone in on that. But sometimes mm-hmm. I think it can confuse things because actually we need healthy fats all throughout the menstrual cycle. We need to make sure we're fueling for any activity we're doing. We need to make sure we're trying to tune into hunger and fullness signals as well, which kind of brings in the second phase. So. Sometimes I think the research is still in the early stages of that and the jury's kind of out with it. So I tend not to overcomplicate things, I would say, in that way, because there's so many other general nutrition things and even fueling in and around exercise in general. If they're doing it in the morning, even in the afternoon, the weekends might be different too. That there's a lot of other just general um, routine that might need fix first. Great, great answer. Makes sense. Okay, we mentioned it already, and it's a big one, isn't it? When you're working with female athletes, the relative energy deficiency in sport or red S still very prevalent as far as I know. I'm not sure if it's people are more aware, but I'm interested. There's two ways of, of looking at it, isn't there? There's the overtraining side of thing and then the undernutritioning mm-hmm. side of thing. Yeah. Where does that balance lie? Obviously, it will depend on the individual, but yeah. should people be looking at their nutrition more as well as checking their training to avoid getting into the situation or yeah because i think usually people that experience red s or um hypothalamic amenorrhea it's just trying to be healthier gone a little Mm. bit too far or they didn't think that it would end up in them losing their period or experiencing symptoms of um underfueling as well so with that i suppose like it could be unintentional where someone starts a new sport or starts training for a marathon and actually their marathon training ends up in them not being able to have an afternoon snack and then they go home and have dinner and then they don't feel hungry or it's late and they don't want to have something after dinner where that's unintentional where their training is shot up, their food just kind of stayed here. So there's a big gap and deficit. The other side of the thing could be people might be active in general, they might um, add activity up, but actually their food's still down here or they lower it intentionally. So these food and training might be even and match, and they lower the food intentionally to create that deficit to lose weight or um, to lose a little bit more fat. And the longer they're in that deficit, the higher, and the bigger the deficit, the higher the risk of them maybe experiencing more health complications and implications with that. So what would be your recommendation then what should people be tracking to make sure that they don't fall into that deficit is it as simple as calorie mm. counting or is there something else you should be doing i suppose calorie counting is different for everyone and regardless of how many calculations you do it's always going to be an estimate um so there's three pillars to hypothalamic amenorrhea um and there's your period so number one stress number two food and number three exercise so always ask people to look at those three um pillars and see do you know People will say, oh, I'm, I, I get quite stressed quite easily or no, actually, I just let things pass. Grant, maybe I internalize it. I don't really know. Are you stressed is a very difficult question. Whereas mm-hmm. write me down your daily schedule. 
and see where there's time for you to take a breather can actually be really interesting too because um whenever i was younger i typed film at game maria which is why i'm absolutely obsessed with it now um because i didn't really know what was happening i managed to get my period back and it was like blind leading the blind really in terms of that so i think that's why i'm so interested in it at the minute but with that like if i think back to my lifestyle whenever i had that i'd wake up i'd walk to the I'd walk to work, I'd have my breakfast in work, I'd walk around to work because I'd be working in the hospital, I'd come back home, I'd walk home, walk straight to the gym, go to the gym, come home, make my dinner, have a shower, and then relax for like 15 minutes, then it'd be bed. And then, so that is even like quite a hectic, like, you know, I probably was like, I need to go here, I need to go here, I need to go here. So the nervous system's a little bit too hyped. Then obviously there was the food side of things where maybe I wasn't eating enough carbohydrates and fats and was just, you know, I didn't need to, to walk to and from work and then do the gym on top of that as well without eating regularly with that and um, so for me that was just too much for someone else it could be they train for a marathon and actually they find it difficult to increase food up unintentionally or intentionally for someone else it could be they have an eating disorder they're not doing any training or any activity but actually their food is just plummeted and just daily life tasks is creating too much of a deficit on top of that um, as well so there are other symptoms um of under fuel and red s where you get bloating constipation maybe some digestive issues you can actually get high cholesterol which confuses and panics everyone because estrogen is cardioprotective so people can actually present very healthy not like the usual high cholesterol type of profile where they exercise often they eat you know healthy foods and things like that and um, they're quite active but actually their cholesterol is high so caution a word of caution when that happens that maybe a question around you know has there been any recent weight loss what about stress what about food what about um activity and then also things like mood changes anxiety being hangry um those types of things um and then hair skin nails um can be impacted as well and then feeling cold is a massive one so feeling cold all the time or people would say you know like I'm always need to wear a fleece in them, even in the middle of summer um, or I always have to have the heating on or I always have to have a blanket and those types of things. So probably for females losing their period or regular periods and feeling cold are the things that probably 99% of the people that I would see would experience. And then the digestive issues, the cholesterol, mm-hmm. the mood changes, they kind of vary between people. How much in your experience, I don't know how much of what percentage of people you see are athletes or like quite extreme athletes, but uh-huh. Is there still a population of athlete, female athletes who believe that losing their periods, athletic amenorrhea, is part of the parcel yeah. if you want to succeed? Is that still a thing or is it thanks to some celebrities mm. are coming out and talking mm. about it and saying it's not normal? Yeah, I think people know that it's not normal now. Whether they want to address it or are ready to address it is another thing as well. I think there was an Australian runner, was it someone Bartholomew? She did a really good social media post and I would sometimes direct my clients to that on like she was, you know, she thought she was the best shape she was in to run when she was younger and she was praised for being the smaller she was, the lighter she was, the better she would run when actually she was like broken and wrecked inside and, you know, at her wit's end in terms of like her mood had changed. She was picking up recurrent injuries and that side of things too. So actually when, especially when younger clients hear that from mm uh really high level athletes then it actually can be really helpful and trigger something in them that actually okay that's impacted them so and i this sounds similar to what i'm going through and you don't need to be an like an athlete i suppose it's a very open term like i'd see a lot of people who 
are addicted to exercise or do excessive exercise and they train far more than anyone that I've seen that plays a sport to a high level or trains to, to a high level as well. So really you can get rid of us and just be walking to work or be a nursing on your feet every day and things like that. So it's more to do with the, the fuel and as well. Um, and you'll still be experiencing those similar issues. Very interesting. So, yeah, so looking out for the symptoms um, and reacting or talking to the right people yeah. if you are worried or concerned about it. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got a few questions that were sent in to me during the week when people yeah. found out that you were going to be on the show. I remember, if people are watching live, Sabrina or Catherine or anybody in the room, then feel free to chuck in some questions. But I did promise I'd ask people about this. We had one about uh, frozen food. Okay, there seems to be a debate at the moment whether frozen food is actually more nutritious than what's on the shelves in the supermarket, as long Uh as it's frozen when it was fresh, then it retains everything. Uh Or there's the other camp, which say frozen food is just awful, eat something fresh, and that's the way to go. Um, I'd ask people to think about how long the fruit has sat in their fruit bowl, because I know that I've got many... fruits and veg maybe in the fridge that sit there for a long while and you probably wouldn't want to touch them by the end of it so i think frozen fruit is great because it saves so much waste it's cheaper usually it's more accessible you can use what you want instead of maybe buying a pack of apples and needing to eat them before or a pack of bananas and needing to eat them before they go off so if you think take for instance raspberries they're picked from fresh or strawberries they're picked from fresh and they're frozen and that's locked in the goodness from there whereas strawberries you buy them in the shop and they're probably gloom old by the time you get home sometimes <laughs> they can go off so quickly so um yeah if it if it's handier and it means that you get in more fruit with ease and veg with ease then go frozen if you prefer fresh and you can afford it and you can buy it regularly and keep your stores topped up and eat it on time then go go fresh but um yeah, it definitely is not something to be demonised. Yes, I suppose frozen you will use more packaging and that's quite um, a hot topic at the minute in terms of the environment. So um, I suppose it depends where people's priorities are in terms of food. Um, whenever I was younger, well, I say maybe like four or five years ago, I did a pound a day food challenge. And in that, you know, like I learned so much about choices of food and actually like the fact that you have the opportunity to choose between fresh and frozen is a privilege rather than a rite of passage if that makes sense because even on that there I think maximum I'd have got two or three portions of fruit or veg in every day and that was me being a dietitian trying to calculate like what's the cheapest food that I could buy that would be the most nutritious just using a pound a day so I think at one stage I had like the cheapest own brand can of tomato soup and put like chickpeas into it. It was the most bland, boring diet. Uh-huh. By the end of it, I was putting custard creams in my porridge and everything like that because it just wasn't <laughs> worth living. Um, but after that, it really did like make me question, I suppose, my previous practice in terms of like it is a luxury to be able to choose what foods you want to eat as well. So it just depends, I suppose, on the amount of um, disposable income someone has as well. But um, yeah, I use frozen fruit and veg probably more than I use fresh. There you go. Heard it from Catherine Stewart. But I love the way you individualize it. And, and I love the when you said it depends whatever is easier for your lifestyle, as long as you're eating, you know, yeah. quality food and what fits in better for you. Is it frozen yeah. where it's there ready for you mm. or is it fresh? So that's, that's a really cool answer. Nice one. OK, uh, what else do we have? Um, there is a question about uh, supplements um, mm. and it was kind of quantified 
with respect to like if somebody unless somebody is suffering from some kind of symptoms and they're lacking something mm-hmm. specific then should you be able to get by if you're a moderate training recreational athlete without taking even a, a multivitamin should you be able to get everything you need from a from a healthy uh, diet um yes with the exception of vitamin d so the vitamin d is sometimes termed the sunshine vitamin so mm-hmm. definitely between well, in Ireland, we say between Halloween and Paddy's Day. So they're easy to remember. You want to be taking a supplement, but um, the UK guidelines would say between um, September and April that you want to be taking a supplement because physically, even if you're brave enough to lie outside, arms exposed, at least half your leg exposed and your face and chest exposed, um, then you won't be able to get enough vitamin D from the sun in winter because it's not strong enough. Um, so you do need a vitamin for that you'll need to take something for that you can get them in capsules sprays tablets sprays are really handy you just spray them inside of your cheek and they're like a peppermint dts so for people who might struggle to swallow tablets or i don't know i personally find sprays easier to remember i don't know what the psychology behind that is um but yeah apart from vitamin d there wouldn't be any need for the gen for general recommendations to take a multivitamin and actually quite a lot of the multivitamins don't contain enough vitamin d so you're better just going for a vitamin D supplement because they might contain five micrograms and you want 10 micrograms during the winter months for that. If say my dad's a farmer, he'll be outside definitely in the summertime. He doesn't need to take vitamin D in the summertime. Me, I'll be inside doing clinics, seeing people online and I won't be able to go out between 11 and three when the sun's strongest. So I probably need to take it all year round. If someone's in a nursing home or in hospital or maybe they cover up their skin Um then they probably would need to take a supplement all year round. So I suppose it depends on the <clears throat> on the person. But um, yeah, vitamin D would be the key supplement to take. And then if someone follows a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet, maybe they don't eat fish, they might need to consider omega-3. On a vegan diet, you probably would want to be taking vitamin B12 because you can't physically get that from plant foods as well. Um, so those are type things that would be more individualised to the individual. Fantastic. Great answer. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. I've got a couple more here. I'm conscious of the yep. time we're coming oh, up yeah, to. Um, there is one here suggesting, oh, actually, it's, it's, you've kind of mentioned it already, but the, the recommended daily allowances, which the government set mm-hmm. on lots of vitamins, seem to be much lower than what are often the more, more expensive supplements. Yeah. Is that because the, the RDAs are too low for, for a recreational athlete? Or is it because, is it the opposite where expensive more expensive brands are just giving you too much which you're not going to need or you're just going to urinate out anyway if they're water soluble maybe a bit of a combination of both like if you are trained to high level you may have increased needs in certain things like i know the omega-3 recommendations are higher for someone who is more athletic than for the general population so the government recommendations are for the general population not someone who might consider themselves an athlete or be training really often as well for example like zinc and vitamin c maybe some take them if they were feeling the start of a cold coming on things like that and it can reduce the duration of it um but there is also i suppose supplement brands sometimes people would view more as better like omega-3 6 and 9 isn't as good as just taking omega-3 whereas people might think oh this sounds like great actually but 6 and 9 are already up here omega-3 is down here and the whole point of taking omega-3 is that it overtakes omega-6 and 9 so actually taking the omega-3 supplement alone would be better than omega-3 6 and 9 so little things like that i suppose can be a little bit confusing and so it's just good to be aware of and that's i guess where you need to chat to a professional like yourself because it's some things like that yeah exactly (laughs) 
Um, okay, and the last one I had was um, to do with, I think we mentioned a little bit before, but intermittent fasting. My daughter um, is a runner and she has started adopting based on someone she follows, intermittent mm-hmm. fasting. Um, she's nearly 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, is Can this be dangerous? Um, I would say yes, especially at such a young age to be intermittent fasting when she's fueling for running, fueling for concentration in school and feeling for growth as well so that's such an important time um period too um so yeah unless someone hates breakfast they've never eaten breakfast they don't care for it at all i would say it's down to the individual like i could not not survive without breakfast if someone loses their period and they're not having breakfast they're not going to get it back unless they start having breakfast because just the energy is so low during the morning time. Stress is already higher. It keeps rising as you delay food as well. So, um, And it can also reduce, I suppose, the opportunity for that person to get in enough nutrients. Like say if I reduce my meals from three to two, I'm going to really need to up the nutrients within those two meals to ensure that I'm getting everything that my body needs. Um, so I would just keep an eye on it um, mm. because it can, those things can start as harmless and they can lead down a slippery path um, as well. So even in terms of who she's following, follow follow runners that share what they eat on Marathon Day and those types of things to actually show how much someone, someone needs um, to fuel for those types of things. Good answer. I'll make sure these are passed on or give them the link to the podcast so they can look at that themselves. Talking of which, if people do want to follow you and get information, I know on Instagram you're very active. Mm-hmm. Is that the best place to? Yeah, uh-huh. um, I'm not too good at uh, the other <laughs> social medias. I do have Twitter, but I only go on there for a little nosy. It's quite a scary place, I think. Um, and my Facebook is linked to my Instagram. So um, it's edible underscore evidence. It's where you'll find me. And if anyone has any other questions, feel free to message me or my email address is Catherine at edibleevidence.co.uk. And that's Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Just because I can see Catherine on here, it's spelled differently. She knows the struggles. <laughs> You've got the kicking K and she's got the curling C. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. You, I can't let you go before you tell me about how you came up with that name, Edible Evidence. It's lovely. It's an alliteration, which I love anyway. But where did that come from? When did you decide that? Um, was I think I was on holidays in Lanzarote and I kept complaining about all this nutrition advice that I saw online. And my sister was like, just shut up and like do something yourself then. And I was like, okay. And all the <laughs> n- other names that I thought of were taken. So hence the underscore in the middle of it. I did think about changing it whenever I honed in more on the uh, female nutrition. But actually then I thought, I suppose it leaves it open for the future because uh, I never know if maybe I become interested in a different area of nutrition down the line um, as well. So, yeah, I think it's my little baby. Oh, I think it's got great connotations. It makes me think of like, imagine if somebody was coming around my house who's going to judge me. I need to get rid of all this evidence, like the donuts and the biscuits and the crisps. I'm just going to eat it all. That's what, that's the way I think of it, which I think ties in a lot. A lot of people could probably associate uh-huh. with that. Get rid of the evidence. Right. Okay. Well, the time has been a very quick hour. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it, again, if people want to follow Catherine, then head over to Instagram, edible as it sounds, underscore, don't forget that, evidence. Um, I recommend following that. There's got some great information going out on there. And um, and again, if people, therapists listen to this, if you're downloading it and you suspect that your clients or patients could do with some advice um, from a nutritionist, then um, what's your 
advice then, Catherine, in that case? Obviously, they contact you. But if they want to know, who do I send this person to? Do you have to do a little bit of sometimes fishing and looking can, around? or? Uh, yeah, sometimes as well. And even just, like, I know that person who had, um, like, referred someone to me today. They just had said in general, obviously not giving away any, like, identifiable information, what their client was going through and just for a bit of advice. And people are more than happy to give that over social media. They'd rather you ask than sweep it under the carpet or maybe ignore mm. it until maybe it needs, it. I suppose it needs uh, addressed. So, and so, yeah, I would just, if you follow any dietitians and that type of thing, maybe just even message them and say, look, I've got this client, they're doing this here. Do you think it would be a benefit for them to see a nutritionist or what do you think if you experienced something similar to this before? And I'm sure people will be more than happy to help help out and so many people do like i work online they also do clinics face to face so there is no kind of location boundaries with things as much as there maybe used to be where you used to have to find someone in your area and maybe if someone didn't specialize in your area then um it can be difficult to locate the best person um but yeah there's lots of lots of people working online and remotely now where it's a little bit more accessible put social media to good use have a snoop on professionals as opposed to just snooping on exes and kind of like people who live next door to you or yeah <laughs> great stuff okay well um gary benson summed it up basically i think we'll just put his little comment on here thanks Catherine, for sharing your expertise with us really interesting chat this evening that's 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 my praise coming from gary to actually put that in there that's pretty cool yeah. i totally agree really interesting um obviously we could have talked about lots more and if you are um either a female athlete yourself and when we say female athlete it's just an active female really we use the word athlete yeah. as if it sounds very elite but if you are exercising, expending energy and you'd like some more information, then you can put comments still on YouTube. I'll make sure they're answered. I can forward any questions to Catherine um, or you could maybe go over to Instagram and ask Catherine directly on there. I'm sure she'll get back to you uh, when she's got a moment. Um, so that's it for the nutrition month. Um, I'm going to say goodbye now. Catherine, if you could hang around, I'll just say goodbye to you once yeah. I kind of shut the live lounge. But that's it, people. Thank you so much for joining us for the month. I hope it's been um, interesting for you. Once again, people seem to have enjoyed this focus on a particular topic for the month. We've done a lot now. and the, We did sleep, which is still getting great feedback. And we've had nutrition this month, which is nice because people are talking about it and you've still got somewhere to go during the month next month is going to be business okay it's going to be all about actual the nitty-gritty of having a business in the world of um therapy um, and healthcare provision so it won't be going out to unchecked live because it's nothing to do with you runners it's going to be solely on the sports therapy association podcast but if you are a therapist and you want to hear some great information from guests uh, regarding how to optimize your business. So we're going to be talking about all sorts of topics going from taxes and pensions and online software and, and financial kind of um, uh, looking after your finances. All sorts of stuff's going to be happening. Then all you got to do is head to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel on a Tuesday at eight o'clock. I do put adverts out. If you're ever not sure, we're always going to be there every Tuesday at eight o'clock. We'll be starting next week with Tim Allardyce, who a lot of you have known um, recently. He took over the sports injury fix um, from Malcolm um, and has been trying to keep that going. Um, it's, I'll be talking a little bit to him about that because it, it was a pretty difficult task. But a lot of you might not realize, but he's also the creator of Rehab My Patient as well. So a lot of you are probably using his software there. But he's been working with therapists 
thousands of therapists for a long, long time. And he's got a, a wealth of experience and advice for you who are in the business of looking after others. Um, so tune in next Thursday, next Tuesday at eight o'clock. Um, but on behalf of myself and Catherine Stewart, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks hope for we'll see you. Uh, thanks for coming on, Catherine. It's been a real pleasure. And um, I hope to catch up again with you soon. Take Cheers, care. Thank all. you. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.